0: 1986,
1: The Labyrinth. Cut the the, it's cleaner.
0: We have to go back! Hello everyone and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are reviewing the 1986 Fantasy Labyrinth.
1: Fantasy. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of that.
0: (laughs) Way more than we even anticipated. Um, as of 2016, this movie is 30 years old, and uh, there's so much to it that we are going to get to. So buckle up. You're in for a ride.
1: Buckle up. Shave your eyebrows. <laughs> it's time to turn on your listening ears. Oh, man. Uh, wheels really fell off at the end. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so this movie has some pretty interesting history um, in the production of it. This was, it had way more going on than what I was expecting. Um, But to give you guys a brief synopsis, just on the off chance that you haven't seen this movie, let's dive right in into giving you a synopsis. All right, so Labyrinth is a film by Jim Henson, executive produced by George Lucas and written by Terry Jones and all the music supplied by David Bowie. Uh, But the story is about, Sarah, played by Jennifer Connolly, who's an unhappy teenager who hides from life in fantasy tales like Don Quixote. Um, what and, was that? Sorry, not Don Quixote. Don Quijito
1: <laughs> sounds delicious.
0: Oh, goodness.
1: I'll take two
0: <laughs> Don Quixote. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'll have yes, a I'll beef
1: have. don quijote, cajito. <laughs> uh, uh, two don cajitos, please. Two don Quijitos, Um <laughs> Do you do it with without cheese? Okay, well, oh, that'd good. be good.
0: Sorry. So she's obsessed with books uh, to the point of like cosplaying in the middle of a field with no one around her but her dog. Um, but then the cause of her unhappiness is her father's remarriage and the resulting of her half brother Toby who is played by the concept artist Brian Froud's son, Toby, about a year old at the time. And then one night, while Sarah is being particularly angsty, uh, she wishes that the Goblin King, called Jareth, played by David Bowie, would come and take Toby away, which to her horror he immediately does. Uh, And so then she's sucked into this fantasy world where she has to go through the labyrinth in order to find her little brother and discover what it really means grow up.
1: Wow. What a great Don Quixote type <laughs> summary.
0: I was so confident. I know you right.
1: were. And that's what made it yes. work. That's what made it so much better. And that's why we're going to make the Don Quixote shirts.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Perfect. So, that movie, uh, like I said, it came out in 1986. Um, production began as early as 19... 19- 83 there were the script had so many revisions uh, at least 25 treatments of the script
1: well, uh, whoa that's more than dark man <laughs>
0: yeah it really is um, and it was just between like uh, 1983 to 1985 they just had all those different treatments and it passed several hands um, a lot of fairy tale inspirations were pulled as we see in the movie like from alice in wonderland of uh, the wizard of oz and uh particularly a story called outside over there which is a children's picture book written and illustrated by maurice Sendak, um in 1981 and the story oh. follows uh, ida who must enter the fantastical world described as the outside over there to find her baby sister who's been spirited away by some goblins so, it, was, it had a lot of inspirations, but this actually came in about development-wise um, after Jim Henson wanted to make a lighter movie, but in the same vein of Dark Crystal. Uh, the Dark Tr- Crystal came out um, years prior to, or I want to say it came out in 80...
1: 82.
0: One, 82? Yes. Yep. Dark Crystal came out in 82, and it was heavier and a little darker than what... Henson was initially wanting, but just like how the story developed, it just ended up being what it was. And he liked it, but he wanted to make a lighter version of it. And so they started creating Labyrinth. And um, a lot of things kind of fell together and fell apart uh, just throughout the development of it. Because interestingly enough, all the puppets that you see in the movie, they started making them like a year before they actually started production in 1985. Wow. And uh, production took about five months to record. And, I mean, it was just... It, it just had so much going on. Um, I, I was able to find this uh, little making-of documentary um, online, and they talked about how everything came together, like all the puppets and everything came together, like within the last couple of weeks. And... um and even just the original version um, of the movie had even some more darker tones. Like it ended with like Sarah just kicking David Bowie and him turning into an actual goblin. Hmm. Um, Jones, who gets the primary writing credit, even though it went through several drafts and written by several people. uh, He says that I didn't feel like the story was very much his. He always felt like it was, it fell between two stories. Like, Jim Henson wanted it to be one thing and he wanted it to be something else. And he said that his version of the script was about the world of the labyrinth um, and about the people who were more interested in manipulating the world than actually burying themselves at all. And in his original concept, Jareth merely seems all powerful to begin with. And is actually using the labyrinth to keep people from getting to his heart. Oh, Don't
1: we all do that in some small way?
0: We all have labyrinths, metaphorically speaking. (laughs) But when, now, this is a movie that, it was one of those movies that I saw as a kid, uh, just around me a lot. Like, I, I didn't watch the movie a ton as a kid. I don't even think I saw it until I was in my teens or early adult life. Um but it was it became a cult classic, but it did not do well box office wise. Uh, it had is reportedly to have had a 25 million dollar budget, uh, but it was a box office disappointment and it only grossed 12 million during its uh, U.S theatrical run. Now it was a commercial failure and it was one of the first commercial failures for Jim Henson, um, and it really brought him down to the point where he didn't direct anything else until his passing in nineteen ninety. Hmm. He 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 like collaborated and you know, Henson Company still created other features, but like after that movie kind of tanked, it was like a big hit for him.
1: That's really sad.
0: Yeah. Even though it did not do well box office wise, they still went forward with some other media, including a Labyrinth of the Computer game for Apple II and Commodore sixty four. So Run out to your local Blockbuster and get a rental for that.
1: I don't uh, understand anything you just said.
0: <laughs> uh, so this game was the first graphic adventure uh, developed by Lucasfilm Games, later becoming Lucas Arts in 1990. And the game was a 13-hour or 13 real-time in-game hour to solve the dangerous labyrinth and thwart Jared's plan. And uh it was... Hmm. It was a game. That's a great idea. Right? Like, just a, yeah. like solve the labyrinth in 13 in-game hours. Like, that would be pretty fun. Wow. Like a Telltale game. Oh, my gosh. That would be such a good Telltale game. It really would. Telltale? Hey, over here. Telltale? Yeah, you listening? Listen. I've got I've got an idea that is worth at least two Don Quijitos. Don
1: Quijitos. <laughs> I will trade you two Don Quijitos <laughs> for this idea um we do not own the rights to labyrinth but but it we, might be cool if you did this
0: yeah we do own the rights to don kahito's um <laughs> some other fun facts about this production is that the crystal bowl um juggling called contact juggling um oh, it's yeah. not actually done by david bowie it oh was that's done, shot
1: very well then
0: right so Basically, there is a choreographer, Michael Moshton, sorry for butchering your name, but he was a contact juggler and he's just like almost in puppet form, like has his arms behind him doing all the contact juggling, um, like crouch behind Bowie, like in his arms, replacing his and like doing all those things. And uh, so weird. Yeah. So I thought that was such a interesting thing that they did. And another cool thing that I thought was how—I um, didn't notice this until I looked, did some research, but if you notice, throughout the movie, Sarah, her oh, her mistake is she always chooses right. She chooses the right—she goes right, she chooses the right door, and she, and she chooses the door with the knocker with the ring in the mouth, which is mm, on the on right, the right one. side. So she always chose right.
1: Hmm. When she talks to the worm.
0: Yeah. She, she's about to go left. He's like, hey, don't go there.
1: But the mistake is that she chooses right. Yeah. Would have run into that, yeah. that castle.
0: <laughs> Although that,
1: that was Sarah's problem. If Sarah had just gone in to have tea with the worm, it would have been fine.
0: Yep. That worm was too real looking. Like, it was so amazing to see uh, just the puppetry. Like, kind of going into our reactions of this, like... The puppetry in this was just phenomenal. Like, I could not get over how, especially that little worm, like how realistically uh, he moved and just like existed. Like, so much of the puppetry um, I was just convinced by. Like, I was sold by. I'm like, oh, this is an actual thing. Because um, I, I started noticing some of the mannerisms, like the way their mouths move, you can kind of tell they're puppets, but some of them just looked so real. And I'm like, that thing looks like it could exist in our world. And it, it just, the Henson Company and all of their puppetry and just the many people it took to operate them was just phenomenal. There were like over 40 puppets and puppeteers because originally if um, the big magic dance scene, it was just going to be 20 Puppeteers that won't do. No, and then they as they did. They say, okay, we need to get twenty more of us. <laughs> so they they went out and hired like a twenty additional puppeteers and like taught them the choreography and did all the other stuff. It was just amazing to see those. I mean, that kind of involvement because there's just so much movement happening all the time and it, ugh, just solid.
1: How do you just find twenty puppeteers? <laughs> I guess it's a pretty tight-knit group.
0: Like, everyone, hey, hey, everyone, if you have a friend who's not here, get him here.
1: Yeah, but you're right. It's very realistic in the way that they move. Uh, I think it's in the eyes. That's what gives them life. Mm -hmm. The eyes.
0: Yeah. I still can't get over that worm. Do you remember the worm's name?
1: I think it was Worm.
0: (laughs) Worm One.
1: It's called The Worm. Yeah. Voiced by Timothy Bateson who also was one of the four guards and a goblin.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, he was just so... Oh, yeah, you're right, the eyes. It was just great. Really impressed with that.
1: Okay, this will be interesting for people. At least I think it is. Um, the worm, if it sounded familiar, Harry Potter fans know that voice as Creature in Order of the Phoenix. Hmm. Creature the the house elf.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Huh. yeah. So not, not Dobby, but Creature, the angry, surly one.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Did you see this movie a lot growing up?
1: Did I see this movie growing up? Yeah. Yes and no. <laughs> uh, the daycare that I used to go to would play it on repeat over and over and over again. I don't remember them ever playing anything except for Labyrinth. And so I saw it all out of order because I wasn't interested in it. I wanted to build with Legos because mm-hmm. um, it, it scared me. I was really scared by puppets as a kid, by the way. I went to a puppet show when I was really little. It was space-themed, and I wanted to leave. I cried and then hid in my parents' arms uh, for most of it. Yeah. Wow. Well, you can bill me for the hour. Um <laughs> Basically I had this aversion to puppets except for the Muppets. It was like the only group of puppets that I liked. And then um it wasn't until our mutual friend Austin got married that I saw Labyrinth start to finish. And if you don't know Austin then that timetable reference <laughs> makes no sense to you. We'll say it was 7 years ago. Yeah. 8 years ago.
0: Yeah, about then.
1: So yeah. Uh fairly recently, I guess more recent than most people see this in their life, I think. Yeah. At least most people our age. Cuz mm-hmm. I know I have friends that this is one of their favorite movies.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I actually asked um some of my friends on Facebook and some people on Twitter like what they thought of Labyrinth um and like why it was their favorite movie and a lot of people talked about how it's one of those things that reminds you of your childhood. Um, And it's just like, it's one of those things that like, you just feel young again and you're just like reliving. Like, it's one of those things where like, if you did grow up with it, you just have this sense of nostalgia and connection to it. And for them, they like loved basically seeing the Muppets um, and, or I guess not the actual Muppets, but the puppetry um, of there of like all of the goblins as well as just the over-the-top fantastical playing of everything just entrance them as a kid uh and a lot of people just fell in love with david bowie um okay. for obvious reasons he's a dreamboat oh i thought you meant the pants oh <laughs> uh yeah that too <laughs>
1: Pants, magic
0: pants. (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. This movie, I feel like this is the first time I watched the movie and actually understood it. Um, Yeah, yeah. Because like I've seen it before a few times, I'm just like, wait, what is happening? Um, But I finally got it, and someone actually pointed out how it's more of a coming of age story for Sarah. Like Sarah is, to borrow a Brittany reference, she's not a girl, not yet a woman. Um, Hmm. And she's kind of understanding just what being, um, what growing up means and what having responsibility means and how, like, going through the labyrinth, she starts learning these little lessons and how she can be kinder and how she can care for other people and how she can. Grow up really and just deal with the responsibility of having um, a little brother and like doing those, um, and like having like caring for someone other than herself or just herself, I'd say, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And another reason is like, even though the movie didn't do that well in the box office, it's like they, um, Lanisha, um, also referenced how like you just don't see movies like this made anymore. Um, no, it's not cost effective. No, no, not at all. Like that's the. Th- I think that the thing I love the most about watching it is like just appreciating the full set design, like the uh, practical effects that they did, like her walking forward. He's like, no, it's like right there. Just walk right there. I'm like, OK. And I was just expecting to see some kind of like green screen, like sparkly transition or like even her to like move past it. But just the forced perspective just made you not see that it was a h- corridor, and I was like, "What just happened to my brain? What, what did I just <laughs> look at?" Like it was, it was so amazing how dedicated they were in pulling off so many of those effects, like re- in camera. And I just so much of that would have just been built in, um, mm-hmm. in post. And I yeah. just love how. Detailed, they built out this whole world. There's also the whole thing where you can see uh David Bowie's face like seven times throughout the movie, like just hidden in between all the rock faces. Oh, really? Yeah, so you know that like know one that. transition where you see a face and then you move to the side and it kind of falls in like these three different rock faces. Yeah, yeah, like that was one of like the many faces that are like hidden throughout the movie. Interesting. I think my favorite part in this movie is the the moment where she opens up the door. She's like, no, I figured it out. I'm getting smarter. This is a piece of cake. And the floor just drops out from under her. <laughs> that to me is just like adulthood embodied in just a scene. <laughs> just like, I think I'm figuring this out. This is a piece of cake. Floor drops out from under you. <laughs> uh, loved it. So um, another interesting thing is that Hoggle was one of the most complex um, animatronics in that movie. Because they had um, an actor inside this mask that was just being mechanically um, operated like off screen. And there were just like four operators for that one mask. And it was just so much to... It was one of the most complex um, operating and throughout the whole movie. Huh?
1: It seemed like he was fairly complicated. Yeah. Like just the way he moved, you could kind of tell. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I just, I I think the biggest thing that I just love is I just really appreciated just all the practical effects. Um, Mm -hmm. just more than, more than the story and all the other things that kind of came together, even more than the music. Um, I just love the attention to detail in like the MC Etcher or Escher, Don Quijito. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Etcher, table for one.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I just really appreciated all the time that they took into building out this world because uh, it, it just made it feel real. And just I just believed all these different things that happened inside this little world. I thought it was really cool.
1: Agreed. Grayson. Yes. Oh, no. I think I'm lost. What, what are you lost in?
0: cannon.
1: Oh, it's cannon because it's going to blow your mind.
0: Bam. Headcanon is the part of the show where we share our unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the movie. But before we do that... We are going to share with you guys, in case you have not heard, there is an active working headcanon from the Labyrinth uh, fandom. Have you heard of this?
1: Uh, yeah, I've also heard there's a rumor in St. Petersburg. Sorry, uh, Anastasia is being made into a live Broadway musical, oh. and I'm just getting ready for it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh, so there is a internet user... Going by the name of Glam Damnit. Sure.
1: Spelled like it sounds.
0: Spelled like it sounds. And this is his working headcanon. And it makes a lot of sense. It gives a lot of backstory to Jareth. So I'm going to tell it to you like a fairy tale. So, So once upon a time, long, long ago, there was a sorcerer named Jareth. And he fell in love with a human girl named Sarah. And she, with him, But Sarah's father and stepmother would not allow them to marry, for then they would lose the servant and nanny for their beloved new baby. Now, in a fit of rage, Jareth kidnapped the infant and spirited it away to the fairy realm. In this other world, Jareth turned the spoiled baby into a goblin in retribution. So Jareth also created a beautiful palace for his Sarah, one where she'd be treated like the queen she was. But sadly time moved differently in the fairy world than the mortal one by the time jareth believed his new realm worthy of his love his sarah has long since been dead overcome by grief jareth descended into madness grief gave way to denial his sarah could not be dead but was in fact being hidden by her wicked stepmother he must rescue her Sarah being a common name, it doesn't take Jareth long to find another dark haired Sarah. Over and over again. So, ones with the unfair stepmother and unwanting younger sibling, unable to reason, Jareth kidnaps the babies and the cycle repeats. Only this time, the Sarahs follow. So, some of the Sarahs complete their quest and win back their baby siblings. Some of them die in the attempt. Completely unhinged, Jareth turns children, not recovered in time, into goblins to join the ranks of his Sarah's little brother, eventually becoming their god and king. Only then does he build the labyrinth. He cannot fathom why his Sarahs keep choosing the spoiled baby over his undying love, but if he can only keep her with tricks, so be it. So as the Sarahs solve the labyrinth faster and faster, new distractions are added. The junkyard of useless treasures, the bog of eternal stench. If his Sarah is determined to stay only long enough to regain the child, Jareth will delay her as long as possible and hopes one day she will choose to stay. But you're probably asking yourself, Ricky, that headcan's flawed. How does the story of Jareth become so garbled in the mortal world that she's reading from the book called The Labyrinth in the first place? Well, at least one or a few Sarahs must have escaped, but not with the whole story. And over time, their stories were turned into the fairy tale, and the most recent Sarah obsesses over with such devotion. So this is why, when the most recent Sarah introduces herself to Hoggle, his response to What's your name?" she said. "Sarah." He says, "That's what I thought." Because of course she's Sarah. They're all Sarah. Headcanon.
1: Well, he took mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love that headcanon so much cuz it I mean, it's it's really solid. It's really really solid. That makes sense, yeah. Cuz cuz that's actually working that there is an alternate world in which this, these things actually do exist, which I like.
1: Because the other camp is that it's a dream,
0: right? Right, and that's just her imagination, basically her very involved imagination, and in, uh, in which she should take that show on the road. If you,
1: uh, w- w- what do you think of the ending of Wizard of Oz?
0: Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I because th- those think that, three, yeah, yeah, I think.
1: I mean, they with the ranch hands also. Wizard of Oz, the book, is in her room. Like, you can see it very clearly. No way! Yeah, they oh, pan across yes. her books, and, like, the bright yellow one I thought you were saying
0: in Wizard of Oz, book. the book Wizard of Oz. I'm like, wait, what? Um,
1: <laughs> That's yeah. where she got the idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would say it makes sense, especially with her dressing up in the dress at the beginning of the movie... And her just daydreaming and imagining. I believe her imagination to be that involved. Um, especially at the end where she said, Well, I may need you guys sometime throughout my life, but of course I need you. Um they're like, Well, why'd you say so? Like it's like this big mm-hmm. like her cause it is about her kind of growing up and maturing. She's like, Listen, I am growing up and becoming more mature, but that doesn't mean that like I don't need these stories almost in the vein of like Matilda, like we were talking about, like these stories kind of give life to shape who you are as a person. And for that, I think there's that. I think there's a convincing argument for that. And I think the narrative says, yes, it is um, a figment of her imagination. However, here's where I see it. I think it's closer to this So in the way that that headcanon kind of described it, like there actually exists this other world. Um, More specifically, I'm going to cite another movie that we've reviewed here. And that is Hook. Hmm. I think it's more, first off, I think that the goblin world exists in Neverland because I do think that there is a portal or some kind of way that in which both, worlds can interact with one another because the other thing that um jareth you know david bowie's character offers sarah is a magic orb that makes her forget which what happens when you're in neverland neverland makes you forget it like messes with your memories so my head canon is that to like she's obsessed with these with these stories and these tales but i do think that she actually has access to these actual characters but she can only like have certain interactions with them depending on like certain times of year or whatever but like i think that they are connected in the same way that like in hook peter pan and neverland really existed but they just brought the stories to earth i'd say Mm-hmm.
1: i'd buy that <laughs> i'd buy that with a whole case of Don quijitos. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to keep doing it.
0: Uh, Don Quijitos. So good, you won't believe what's real and what's fiction.
1: Do you need a crazy kooky snack to keep your energy up? Eat a Don Quijito.
0: (laughs) Don Quijito.
1: Best mistake that was ever made.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, what what was your headcanon?
1: So I had a really difficult time with this um, because I think there's a lot of evidence for all kinds of headcanon that's spun up. Like I have a difficult time justifying why David Bowie's picture is on her mirror at the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah. Uh, it's like, mm, that makes that like, that's one point for the dream theory. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything that's in her room inspires later characters or later events. It's just like, that's difficult to kind of push aside because I want it to be real. I want I want the events to be real because I think it's all a dream. It's kind of a cop out, right? Um, uh, especially at the end when she like spins that top and you don't know. <laughs> they cut away right before. Yeah, it's it's tough. Which, um, what was her
0: totem? <laughs> was Toby her totem?
1: Yeah, and she didn't have it. It's the real world if he's crying, it's a dream if he's being quiet. Right. So my headcanon is that we actually start the very beginning of the movie in the labyrinth. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are three primary orbs that Jared wields throughout the movie. Um, We know that one of them is something of a utility orb. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know that one of them contains jared's fantasies uh, or jared's i keep saying jared like this whole time Jared's uh realities you know it's got the impediment jared
0: yeah. presents don Quixotes. <laughs>
1: oh how the mighty have fallen <laughs> uh and so he uh he has his realities which is where his fantasies where he has that dance party the masquerade dance party is jareth's fantasies And then you have um, the wonderland feel or the, I'd say, I should say the, the mentality of Sarah, which also includes quote unquote real world. Mm -hmm. Um, So the very beginning of the film, you are actually starting in one of those orbs, which is why she's surprised when all of a sudden it's seven o'clock. She's like, it's impossible. It can't be, it's not fair. Uh, Like, uh, it's it's time. Like, why is she so surprised by time? Aside from just being kind of like in her own world. Also, they heavily hint, almost downright say, that Jareth is also the owl. And the owl is watching her at the very beginning.
0: I didn't realize he was the owl.
1: Yeah. Um Whoa. So he's already there. And he has influence over her. And she doesn't seem too weirded out that there's this white owl in the park during the day watching her (laughs) do these lines from labyrinth Hmm. Um, and so yeah he's the owl because he's already heard her say like the labyrinth lines which is why he's not really surprised by it at the end Um, Hmm. and so she's existing in this, this orb that is the family and the fantasy and the fairy tale of the wicked stepmother. And, um, it's when she wishes that she, uh, that Toby was taken away by the goblins, that she leaves the orb and enters the labyrinth that she was really already in, but she's no longer in an orb. She's in the actual physical space of the labyrinth. Hmm. We see the whole scene where she's at the party. I think that's pretty self-explanatory that Jareth has chosen to trap her in one of the one of the orbs there. Um, and she's able to shatter that, which is the first time she really shatters an orb. Uh, and then the third orb is really it's the labyrinth orb. It, the labyrinth doesn't exist within the orb, but it's the orb that allows Jareth to have power within the labyrinth. Um, which is like a utility orb, basically. Like he throws it down that hall and it becomes the sweepers or he's able to show dreams. And so um, when he tells her that here is an orb that can show you your dreams come true and and all that, really what it is, is it's Jareth's dreams uh, in in the sense of like his goals and his wants and desires. Um, And that's his subtle way of trying to get her to feel like his dreams are actually uh, her dreams as well. So if she had taken the orb, she most likely would have seen, like made the trade for the orb for Toby. He would have shown her Sarah and Jareth together in the castle. And that's all he really wants. Hmm. Um, I think the fact that she is trapped in an alternate reality also... Um, you, you, she's fighting double time at the very beginning like she mm-hmm. doesn't know how to deal with it which is why almost every one of her words before Toby is taken is said twice it drove me crazy at first but this was the only way she repeats lines over uh, over the previous line like huh. it's not fair it's not fair to Jennifer Connelly's credit, she says it different ways each time, but she does <laughs> say, she does say the line uh, in repeat. And when she does that, um, and it's not till she goes to the, the labyrinth that she stops it. Um, she's also gaining new abilities, which is kind of hmm. the she's stepping out of the orb where she couldn't do those abilities before because at the riddle gate, she actually says like, I wasn't able to do that before. It's like, well, what changed? Like, you stepped out of that reality. And I don't think it was just stepping out of the real world. I think Jareth has had her for a very long time. Mm. Um, It's much longer than 13 hours. Um, Because he tells her... I mean, he lays out the parameters of, like, you have 13 hours, and she says, oh, it doesn't seem that short. And his response is, it's longer than you think. I really think the whole movie is much longer than we see and much longer than we think um, and longer than 13 hours.
0: So what you're saying is that we're in the labyrinth? How long have we been reviewing this movie? We
1: started in the
0: labyrinth. We will
1: end in the labyrinth. No! But the, uh, the characters that she interacts with, too, I, with that theory, I don't even know if Toby is real or is it just uh, another way that uh, Jareth uses manipulation to get Sarah to choose him? Mm. Um, like, that's a fantasy that he just created for her to live in. The plot really starts to deconstruct under that headcanon, but um, it is something to explore to really track, okay, in the, in the world as it looks like the real world to us, if that's an orb and she's transferring to uh, the labyrinth and then she's transferring to another orb whenever she's in the dance party and then she's back in the labyrinth again and then fighting against the utility orb, at the very end, that would just mean she's transferred back to the previous orb. She sees all of her friends initially through the mirror and I think there's importance in that. Uh, the fact that she's seeing them through glass, that she's not actually in the same room with them, but she feels like she is because that glass orb exists within the labyrinth. Mm. Um, and then at the very end, the owl flies off and kind of hints that Jareth is alive and well and still in control of the situation. At least that was, that was my headcanon around the orbs being the keeper of these different realities.
0: So the labyrinth is hotel california
1: you could check it in a time you like but you can never leave we'll auto-tune that later all that's right perfect cool.
0: yeah that's that's really interesting that's i like it it makes it a lot darker but uh i feel like it's it still fits in to uh, what they set up like there's just, I mean, a ton of, yeah. ton of evidence for that. Cause I, I don't think I pay that much attention to those orbs or what they could mean, but that's like the way you described it. makes it like very evident that like there were like three different distinct orbs and had different influences like man and how involved they already made this movie. I believe that to 100% makes sense.
1: But that there are creatures that really live in the labyrinth. Yeah. Like Ludo, is real and, and all the goblins are real like Hoggle didymus all of them but yeah oh and to the the fake Toby theory that he's just another fantasy being used by Jareth mm-hmm. um since Toby exists in the actual labyrinth that's a little that's difficult to justify mm-hmm. um, unless it is an invention of Jareth's Because when he looks at him, like, maybe this is the new thing. We've gone through this cycle so many times. This invention of a Toby to manipulate Sarah to come to him this time um, Mm -hmm. could be uh, an explanation for why he looks at the baby and says, I'll name him Jareth.
0: Like, it's part of himself. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and what if this is, like, his Wonka factory? The (laughs) Labyrinth is his Wonka factory and he's just looking for a new successor.
1: The only way to get out of the Labyrinth is to go slant
0: ways. (laughs) Here, eat this snozberry; It'll taste like a All Alright, now we're going to go into the part of the show where we talk about recasts and remakes. Oh, no. No no jingle for that one?
1: I was thinking something like Remake. (laughs) Oh, wait, we gotta do it Bowie style for the
0: Bowie re- Remake We re- we re- re- remake the remakes. Remake do 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 do, 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 do. You've been remade <laughs> <laughs> That was very accurate David Bowie. Recast Remade Uh so basically we talk about if this movie were to be remade Um, who we cast and what story would we follow if they were to make a remake or an inspired sequel. Um, I feel like the obvious choice um, would be uh, Johnny Depp, because I just know that if this movie ever does get made and since Disney owns um, Johnny Depp, (laughs) I was going to say the Muffets, but yes, both. Um, I think they would bring him out for this because I feel like Johnny Depp is the go to for eccentric character. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. hmm. We need someone for the remake of an eccentric billionaire who owns a chocolate factory. Who are we going to get? Why are we even asking this question? Let's just break in case of Johnny Depp. Oh, and that's lunch. Uh,
1: Don Quijitos, anyone? Don I'll call ahead. <laughs>
0: Uh, oh they uh, live yeah, right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would be Johnny Depp, but I feel mm-hmm. like for Sarah's character, i'm I would wonder if they would go with either Emma Stone or um, I would say, depending on when this would have been made, I would say Natalie Portman. I feel like she would be a good Sarah.
1: Yeah, I think that would have been like a, a late 90s thing though. I think currently they she, I mean, she really does need to be young though. So like Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things mm. I think would be a good option. Um but for for Jared, I think you're right. I mean, Johnny Depp is an obvious choice. Um my wife also immediately was like, "Oh, it's like Johnny Depp. Got it." It's like, "Yeah." Yeah. Um because if they we don't often talk about the director in these, but I think they would have Tim Burton do it. Oh, absolutely. And, and instead of puppets, it would be like full scale claymation.
0: Uh I would feel like they would go with um because Where the Wild Things Are was another one that was in the running a combination of both. Like they have like green screen faces to capture those emotions, mm-hmm. but like full body uh puppets. Like these- I think
1: they would definitely do Ludo that way, which yeah. he was meant to be like where the wild things are, because that's also one of the books in Sarah's room. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that would be a good way to do it. Uh, Recasting (laughs) one of the ones that came to my mind during the masquerade party scene was recasting it as Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence (gasps) and just make it a sequel to silver linings playbook.
0: (laughs) Oh, I like that. I like that oh man that's good that's solid ooh Brie Larson
1: Brie Larson would be really good
0: I feel like she could play a younger 20-ish because she was in Scott Pilgrim when she was in her 20s or oh well no I take that back I know exactly who it would be Anna Kendrick oh I mean she can play young-ish except they, if anything they would just like a maybe I don't know I feel like she can play pretty young do you think 15 young or, like, about to go off to college? Like, 18, maybe? College. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think those would be my choices. Or, let's... <laughs> I would love for there to be a sequel where... Oh, okay, here it is. So, a sequel um, taking place, like, the day before Sarah's wedding. And it's almost like, a, like what they did with Through the Looking Glass with the... Alice in Wonderland reboot it's mm-hmm. like this day before her wedding and she goes back into the labyrinth to like have that tie up loose ends <laughs> why <laughs> to have the sickest bachelorette party this side of the bog of eternal stench uh no <laughs> just the idea that um, that's like the um just like another adulthood type transition maybe it's like right before she has a baby or um or maybe right before she just goes into like a career shift like i feel like oh like just like a midlife crisis or something i feel like that next like turning point for like the the labyrinth is just the place that you go to when you're like making a shift in your life kind of thing mm-hmm. like oh man yeah. i i I'm, I'm a new york fashion designer but i just got offered a job in la to to uh I don't know what, what are the decisions no, I, people have I, I, I to
1: I I see where you go. You're basically describing the plot of Sex in the Goblin City.
0: Do <laughs> you mean Labyrinth, right? Just the yeah, just as right. it is. <laughs>
1: um yeah. For uh for recasting again, I'm going to stick with Millie Bobby Brown, but I think a good alternate for Jareth is Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh and that's my final answer oh
0: that's the one that would be so good he could do it so well oh I'm loving that I want. so the- I think that
1: would be the sequel and the premise of it I like the wedding day thing because of the jealousy that Jareth would feel about yeah. it and they open a wedding gift and it's the utility orb and immediately she's transported back yeah although for the wedding day thing Millie Bobby Brown doesn't make any sense so it'd have to be someone else Maybe Natalie Portman, like you said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, hey, Jennifer Connelly.
0: She had her
1: chance. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's time to wake up from the dream. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be great to see Jennifer Connelly reprise that role and Benedict Cumberbatch kind of step in as a tribute to David Bowie that would be phenomenal. in that performance. If they were to recast uh, Jareth, but it had to be a musician like david bowie was to write all of the songs who would it be and how would the songs differ uh, to affect the overall feel of the film it
0: would 10,000% have to be justin timberlake it would be amazing it wouldn't would be it cuz my first
1: thought was like chris martin from coldplay and i'd be like that's such a like sad movie for most of it like it starts out really sad and introspective but then it gets pretty electronic towards the yeah. end yeah. Yeah. But Justin Timberlake would be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, man. I would... He'd be like,
1: I'm bringing Sarah back. Yeah. <laughs>
0: These goblin boys, they don't know how to act. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, take it to the book.
1: Only got 13 hours to save the world.
0: Oh, man. That's good. It all fits. The soundtrack's already written by who's <laughs> truly. Fun. We're, we are waiting by the phones, Hollywood. When you're ready, we will take care of everything.
1: And if you happen to have the number to Telltale, just <laughs> yeah. let let them know. Just let them know. We're also ready.
0: We are so ready for them to make all your just, dreams come true. Well, I like.
1: If we wrap it up soon. We can uh, make it just in time before they close over at Don Quijito's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, we we. we They're really punctual about their closing hours.
1: They have a windmill prices going on right now.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I
1: mean, they put the full price on the menu, but they're not as big as they seem when you get the check.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to the Flashback Flix podcast where you get just the right amount of Don Quijito jokes. Uh. Try it with salsa. (laughs) All right, so let's go ahead and go into the final segment of the show, which is our reasons to recommend. Uh, Grayson, why would you recommend this movie?
1: My reasons to recommend would be it really is a demonstration of Jim Henson's artistry. Uh, You see a lot of his comic side in The Muppets, obviously. And uh, this brings out just a different tone. And it's a shame that it was a a commercial uh, flop, it didn't really do as well as he would have liked. And it's a, it's a real shame that it prevented him from producing more and directing more, um, prior to his death. But it's, it's super ambitious. Like we said before, there's not a studio that would really do it this way. Uh, and he tackled it and it's a classic 30 years later. um, with different versions coming out. I mean, different, uh, like collector's editions and a cult following. And it's, I don't It's, it's hooked in there so much, I think because of that attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are fun songs. There are memorable performances, uh, by David Bowie. And really even, even if she gets on your nerves, like from, from like a, a whiny child acting kind of thing, like, Jennifer Connelly is good and believable, and has her has her moments of vulnerability in this uh, in this movie that uh, you can see why she was able to make a film career and uh, having this as a launching off point. Um, so it's an origin story for Jennifer Connelly. It's a uh, great demonstration of the acting singing blend and um, just massive talent. That was David Bowie and a testament to the the skillful artistry of Jim Henson.
0: Absolutely.
1: George Lucas is in there too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his role needs to be acknowledged in this, but it, I mean just the, the blend of talent that came together to, to make this happen is, is pretty amazing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say like my reason to recommend this movie is like if you really want to see... Just a fairy tale come to life um that's this movie like the the world in which they build um but the goblins is just so believable, and I would have to say like you know they they don't make movies like this anymore, and I think it's because Jim Henson had the patience to develop it like that um mm, yeah his talent and his vision and his ability to allow people to create in this way and in this style with those limitations was just phenomenal. Like they um with the fiery scene with the, the dancing oh. heads, like they filmed that on, not on a green screen, but on a black velvet room where, what? yeah, the, the puppeteers were covered in black velvet and they recorded that in be- black velvet like that whole scene was done without a green screen, and they they just saw the vision for that, and he wanted certain movements to have the certain timing, and he just allowed all these other creative people to use their skills and their gifts together, and it just creates this really beautiful work of art. Like there, if you ever want to just see how you can bring something to life. Um, with texture uh, and just visual just gold like the I I still can't get over uh, how many effects they just pulled off in camera like if you just want to do a study on like how to pull those effects off and also just to um, see what taking a risk on a film looks like um, I would watch this movie because Labyrinth really is just another example of the kind of movie that can be made if you take like this risk and ambition, um, to share the story you want to tell. Um, Mm -hmm. and it all happened with just such great collaboration, like even more so than what, um, I would, I would say I see in a lot of the typical, um, Hollywood environments, just with like how many different people contributed to the script, um, how many different puppeteers like got to work uh, and how many, even just with George Lucas, not accepting um, during the whole promotional um, circuit of it, like George Lucas didn't take any interviews because he didn't want to take light away from Jim Henson during the time, just like the sheer like realm of collaboration that went into making this movie was phenomenal. That. And I mean, David Bowie, I mean, there's, there's always David Bowie uh, at his gift to this film. And um, mm. it, it's, I feel like I can just ramble on for days, but I won't because we're going to do a brand new thing and we're going to share some of your reasons to recommend because I asked you guys on Facebook and Twitter, and here's what you guys have to say. So DC Mopey on Twitter said, when I was but a tiny Mopey, I didn't appreciate it i was a little too old and a little too young but as i grew up i marvel at everything from the practical effects right down to the questionable saga dance numbers and it's (laughs) a true feat of film making for its time then i also asked some of you guys on facebook and a lot of you had to say i'm going to go through as many as i can um Shannon said like David Bowie an amazing talented and already famous rock star wrote the music for this movie and yet the songs yeah, that's a good point. make no sense in context um <laughs> there are also hidden Bowie faces all throughout the movie which just makes it amazing and uh the set is just pure gold cardboard spray painted with gold glitter it's just instant magic Um, and the thing that's really just done well is the puppetry. It's just the, some of the downfalls of the movie, um, just add to the charm of it. Um, speaking to Jennifer (laughs) Connelly, Jennifer Connelly's, uh, pre-fame and angst-ridden performance, as well as, uh, David Bowie's, uh, (laughs) nonsensical, uh, songs and music that just really just spoke to dancing and moving. Um, uh, I'll, voodoo <laughs> voodoo um, and then Jeff from Boss Level 8 says uh, top 5 favorite movies Jim Henson is amazing, Bowie is amazing Jennifer Connolly is amazing and it's one of the most unafraid imaginative movies that I've ever watched And uh, yeah,
1: can't argue that right.
0: and then lastly I'll give uh, Caitlin a shout out from I Imagine Blank and she says that this is pretty high up on her list uh, and she saw that movie um, in her adult life um probably for the first time in that she loved Ludo and it's wonderfully uh-huh. weird. And it kind of just felt like um, her relationship with her boyfriend at the time, cause they both watched it together and um, it was their first real introduction to David Bowie. Uh, and she was starstruck and plus she always uh, loves the dance magic dance and dancing around in an empty parking lot in the middle of the night. So Thank you guys so much for sharing your reasons to recommend and, uh, will you keep on sharing it? We'll keep on adding it. So thanks. Great.
1: That last comment. Uh, I actually want to, uh, say thank you to everyone who left comments, but, uh, that last comment pointed out, like it reminded you of where you were when you interacted with this film and, and things that inspired, uh, inspired you from the film. And, uh, That's part of why we do this podcast is to bring those memories back. Um, Like I talked about Austin's wedding. I saw it the week after Austin's wedding just up in St. Louis in an empty apartment with a TV that was propped up on a a cardboard box. (laughs) And I don't remember that level of detail for most movies that I watch. But for this one, there was something special and it it did bring it out. So we do these movies because they have some kind of connection like that and uh just want to say thank you for sharing yours with us
0: yeah absolutely all right and that is our review of labyrinth let us know what you thought of labyrinth and why you like the movie on twitter we are at flashback flicks and let us know what you thought of this review that you are listening to on itunes leave us a review telling us what you thought of this podcast that you're listening to right now um in the form of a riddle eh?
1: Mmm, that's good. Uh, Additionally, let us know your favorite flavor of Don (laughs) Quijito.
0: I will never live that down, and I'm happy about that. (laughs) Don,
1: I can't wait to wear the shirt. I really can't. I'm going to get ten of them.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is like two sizes too large. Exactly. Always for Don (laughs) Quijito.
1: That's the Don Quijito way.
0: And be sure to follow us on Instagram to find out what movie we will be reviewing next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until next time, remember to be kind and rewind.